Today's episode is sponsored by the Academy for Virtual Teaching, a community of creative entrepreneurs building proficient, profitable, and professional online teaching businesses. In the Academy for Virtual Teaching's Pro Membership, they can help you develop the skills needed to organize, film, edit, and add online education to your business model. They invite you to join the community of supportive colleagues as they share their creativity with students around the world. So check it out. Thank you so much, the Academy for Virtual Teaching. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 253 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about growing a weaving yarn company with my guest, Sarah Resnick. Sarah is the founder of the weaving yarn company, Just Yarn, and their newly launched sister brand, Zali. Since 2017, their small creative team has been making yarn, patterns, and projects that weavers and makers are proud to bring into their homes. Sarah started her career as a community and union organizer and made the switch to small business when she helped to launch a sewing factory in 2015. Sarah lives not too far from me, so she was able to travel to my studio today for this interview. Sarah, it's wonderful to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm honored to be here today. It is always the best to be able to record in person, so I was super excited when we realized we're local. <laughs> we're local, exactly. So we've got lots to talk about, but I'd love to start with um, where you grew up and kind of what you were like as a kid. Were you creative? Were you artistic? Or what, what were you into when you were little? Yeah, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I have always been into making things. I think I mystified my family in some ways, um, being more into that than anyone else there. But um, I learned how to knit when I was seven from a friend's grandmother. Um, My own grandmother taught me how to sew. Um, She had a sewing machine in her basement. And after Shabbat dinners on Friday nights, she would take me downstairs and we would sew projects together. yeah, it's, it's always been a big part of my life. I think I was kind of a shy, anxious kid, as many of us makers were, or maybe are. Um, and yeah, making was just a big part of, of my life in that way. And what were you kind of good at in school? What did you think you wanted to sort of be when you grew up? I always thought I wanted to be a writer. So I was okay. really into creative writing and um, focused on that. I went to an arts high school for creative writing um, and visual arts uh, and making, I think, was kind of like what I saw as my hobby or the things that relaxed mm-hmm. me. Um, but here I am today. Right. Living out of that. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So you went to a, a visual arts high school and then where did you go to college and what did you study? Did you study, were you an English major? Did you study creative writing? No. So I kind of took a lot of different turns. Um, I went to the University of Toronto and I studied forestry. Um, so That's an unusual choice. Not both of those are unusual yes. <laughs> choices, but to go from Pittsburgh to Canada, I think, was an unusual choice, too. Yes. I um, was looking for something new and a different place. I loved living in Toronto. It's such a fun city. Um, so many different things going on. Like, every eight blocks, you're just in a completely different kind of neighborhood. Um, I majored... I didn't really know what I wanted to study. I majored in forestry um, and science because I thought that it was going to be practical, Um, 
But many days after my classes, I would walk down the street to OCAD, which is the Ontario College of Art and Design, and like peer through the windows in the fiber. You know, in retrospect, obviously I should have transferred. Um, you know, that's where I wanted to be, um, but I thought it wasn't practical, which, you know, jokes on me because that would have been a much more practical degree for the job I have now. Um, but I learned about trees and I learned about um, the economics of forestry um, in Canada. So wow. Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So did you try to get a job in forestry upon graduation or had at that point you've been like, okay, enough of this? <laughs> I never did. No, I graduated and I was working in community organizations related to um, food justice and food security, community gardening. Um, so there was like some environmental links to that, but not uh, not the trees. Yeah, yeah, that sounds interesting though mm-hmm. and probably was, um, I don't know, really engaging and um, also a, a good thing to do in the world, you know, certainly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I loved it. I spent the early part of my career as a community organizer and a bit of union organizing. And um, yeah, I, you know, there's something wonderful about having your job be building relationships with people and just getting to learn from their stories and, you know, try to change change things in your community through that. So Right. And were there some skills that you learned during that time that now in retrospect you're like, I mean, it sounds like relationship building being one of them, but now in retrospect you're like, oh, those were good skills for me to have in building a craft-based business. Yeah. I think it's about relationships and about stories so that like every, every, um, you know, everyone has a story. People respond to stories. People, um, want to support companies where they really understand the stories and the people behind them. I think, um, you know, storytelling is a big part of community organizing and that like understanding people's stories and what moves them into action. Um, and yeah, so I think that's something I took from that. Um, and also just how much I love building relationships with people and how important that is. Yeah. I agree with you that everybody has a story and I think that sometimes people feel um, reticent to tell their story as part of their brand. Um, but in fact, you know, that's the hook. And a lot of times like I'll look at somebody's website and you can't really access their story very well. Like they just haven't really decided to share it. And then when you, you start talking to them, you're like, Oh my gosh, you have an incredible story. Tell your story. Like this is what you have, you know? Yeah. It can be a tricky thing to figure out how to be public. And also I think as your company grows, your company is not just the story of the founder, but the story of everyone who you work with. And so it can be kind of tricky to navigate how to tell that and how to share. But for sure, when I land on people's website, the about us page is like one of the first pages that I go to because I want to know what's up and right. who you are. And Right. And I think increasingly in a social media centered world, um, brands need that relationship building and sort of storytelling to, to sort of relate to their audience. That's really what people are looking for more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't has to have to be the founder, but there just needs to be somebody that you feel mm-hmm. like connected to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, you must talk with your members a lot. about that. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely a, a big piece of it. I yeah. think for sure. So, okay. So you are working community organizing and then it sounds like at some point you started working for a company that was starting a sewing factory. Mm-hmm. Um, and this in, in, were you in Massachusetts at that mm-hmm. point? So how did you get up here and how did that happen? Um, moved to Massachusetts because my partner, who's now my husband, started school here. And um, I was working in community organizing for a while here. Um, a lot of campaigns around good jobs and like pushing for um, employers to 
make good jobs, good paying jobs. And I started to think I wanted experience on the other side of that, like what it meant to be an employer to try to make good jobs um, and specifically like good manufacturing jobs, um, which sounds really great in like on paper, but um, I was curious to see what that was like. And so I joined Good Clothing Company um, as one of their employees and uh, helped to open a cut and sew factory in Fall River, Massachusetts. Um, it was an incredible learning experience and so hard. It's really, really, uh, anyone listening who is part of manufacturing and has been involved in any way, I'm sure knows, it's just so hard to get all those pieces together, like to um, make a product profitably in this in this country um, while paying good wages. And um, yeah, it's, it's tricky. So I learned a lot um, and I learned that manufacturing wasn't where I wanted to be personally and that there's like such incredible manufacturing happening here and that I was interested in starting a brand where I could partner with textile mills, partner with dye houses, um, and bring what they were making to weavers. So that was how I kind of found my way. Right. Okay. So this place in Fall River, um, I mean, there used to be a lot of textile mills in Massachusetts. Yeah. That was sort of what yeah. we were known for, yeah. right? Like Lowell and yeah. um, the Mill Girls. And yeah. that, that was that was a big part of Massachusetts history. Yeah. And there has been some attempts and some successful attempts, mm-hmm. too, to sort of onshore and mm-hmm. bring that kind of manufacturing back. And mm-hmm. so you were part of, of that effort. Yeah, Um for, for a short period of time, I, um, yeah, there's there's a number of cut and sew factories in the region and people doing really good, important work sewing, sewing clothes here. Right. So, so in a cut yeah. and sew factory is basically you come to them and commission them to create, you know, tote bags or whatever it is that you need made and they hire the staff and have the equipment um, and, you know, maybe help you source the fabrics and, and threads, exactly. et cetera, and, and manufacture this product for you. Exactly. So like a brand will come to the company and they'll say, uh, sometimes they'll have a production ready pattern ready. Sometimes they'll have to get help, um, from the company making that pattern. They usually have already sourced the yarn, the, um, the, huh, you can see what world I'm in now, but the fabric and all of the notions that are needed and, uh, the cut and sew factory will do the cutting and the sewing. Right, yeah. right, exactly. And yeah. so that way you're not, I mean, a lot of makers start by making things at home mm-hmm. or in their studio space. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at a certain point, demand exceeds the uh, ability to supply. And exactly. so you sort of partner with this company. That, right. and, and they employed local people in mm-hmm. the Fall River area mm-hmm. to do this. And it's a job that you don't necessarily need a college degree for and things like that. No, but it's highly skilled as anyone who is an industrial sewer will know. So you really need a lot of skilled people um, to operate industrial sewing machines. It's a whole different ballgame than a home sewing machine. Um, so right. not a college degree, but definitely skilled labor. Exactly. Yeah. And the patterns are not home sewing patterns mm-hmm. either. And the cutting equipment, and this is really taking it to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, it sounds like while you were there, you realized it was very difficult to do. Yeah. Um, and that maybe that wasn't for you long term, yeah. yeah. um, but that you could in some way partner with these sorts of, it was like eye-opening in that you started to see what was possible. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what was the next step there? How did you get introduced to weaving? I know your grandmother helped you mm-hmm. sew and you learned to knit when you were a child from someone else's grandmother. Yeah. But what about weaving? I mean, when does weaving come, in and come yeah. into this picture? So that was earlier. Uh, while I was a student at the University of Toronto, 
I had had a, the year before I had been working on a farm with a bunch of sheep um, and I had learned how to spin and there was this loom in the barn, but I couldn't figure out how to put it together. But I just had this idea that I had to learn how to weave. So I got to Toronto and I signed up for a weaving class like on an evening uh, once a week. I used to take two subways and a bus and then walk for three quarters of a mile to get to this weaving class. So like I really wanted to learn how to weave. Um, and yeah, a group of women there taught me how to weave. I will always be grateful to them. And I think everyone who has kind of tried a bunch of different crafts and then like hit on what is theirs will, I'm sure many people in your audience have that feeling. Like I just had that feeling when I started weaving that, um, you know, it's all I wanted to do. <laughs> this was it. Yeah. yeah. So I found a loom a couple months later on Craigslist and like, you know, we had a little studio apartment. It was in the middle of our living room. And, um, so it was a small loom. It was not a small loom. Oh, it was a big loom. <laughs> it was a 35 inch, um, floor loom. Wow. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, have been weaving ever since. Um, I didn't, you know, that was in 2008. So it was just a hobby for years before right. I opened my weaving yarn company, but um, you know, have been involved as a weaver and a buyer of weaving yarn since then. And what is weaving yarn? Because I think people know yarn. They understand, mm -hmm. okay, they go to a mm -hmm. yarn shop, there's yarn, but that's knitting yarn. And so what is weaving yarn and how is it different from knitting yarn? So there's some crossovers. So weavers typically have their yarn on cones. Um, so they use more yarn than a knitter typically. Um, it's often thinner. Um, and, uh, Warp yarn, which is the yarn that you use to thread your loom, has to be strong enough to not snap or break. So it can't be like too stretchy or, um, uh, you know, it has to handle some abrasion, which some knitting yarns can work for, but not many. Um, and yeah, weavers weave a lot of towels. So they use a lot of cotton based fabric, uh, cotton and plant based fabric. So people will weave a lot of home textiles, blankets, um, you know, placemats, things like that. So those are often cotton. Um, yeah, but you know, there's certainly crossovers and one of the things that, you know, has led us to creating our sister brand Zali, which we'll talk about in a little bit, was realizing that some of the yarn that we had developed for weavers at Just Yarn um, was really great for other crafts too, um, particularly, you know, we have this wool tapestry yarn that's really wonderful also for stitching and we have um, a cotton yarn that's great for knitting and crochet, which is all to say there's certainly, there's certainly overlaps. Okay. All right. And were there um, weaving yarn companies existing that you were fans of and were interested in? And what, like, what hole in the market did you see where you were like, yes, but they're not producing X, Y, and Z that we could be, you know, I could start a company that could do that. Yeah. I mean, it's a great, really small kind of niche within a niche. Um, for sure. There's other companies making beautiful yarns that we loved. I wanted to create some yarns with more texture um so like some we have uh the first yarn we created is a slubby cotton linen um blend and i wanted to bring uh new color you know new new ideas about color to weaving yarn and to develop my own collections like that um yeah so so that's that was, what i wanted to do and i right. wanted to create you know be part of also developing new weaving patterns working with designers to create patterns um to bring and new, like new weaving patterns, meaning more modern or a younger aesthetic or just different from what was available? Yeah, um, I think a more modern aesthetic and also, um, yeah, just just more, just, you know, kind of bringing my own flavor to it and the flavor of the, the early employees that we were working with, Emma Rhodes, um, 
who was the first employee creative director at Just Yarn, worked a lot in the early days of our company, um, working with weaving pattern designers and um, developing kind of what the aesthetic of Just Yarn patterns would be. Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah. when you had the idea to start this company, like how do you even get started? You had some manufacturing background, mm -hmm. you had relationship building background. So those are all helpful. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, another thing entirely to have to source these fibers and learn about how fibers combine. And I mean, that seems like a college degree, as you said, <laughs> and it all in and of itself. So what were the first steps to getting started? Yeah. So the first yarn of line that we made duet, which I was talking about that cotton linen slub blend, um, it was calling around to manufacturers and, and learning about um, manufacturing in the U.S., what is possible um, and what the minimums are. And, you know, I think as all business owners know, that first leap is often the scariest. Like, oh, I'm going to spend, you know, this large amount thousands of, money, of dollars, many, many, thousands, <laughs> of many dollars thousands of dollars to get, you know, thousands, you know, and then it's kind of yarn and, and then I'm going to have to sell it. But yeah, um, yes. what we've done, which I totally recommend to other small business owners, is we've really depended on a pre-order model to get mm. things going. So that first line of yarn, um, we had some samples that I wove up, um, some, some snippets of colors, but we did not produce the yarn before we sold it. We um, asked our, our community of customers if they would pre-order it and told them what we wanted to make and why we wanted to make it and where we were going to make it, and that I couldn't afford to make it if they didn't join in. Um, so we wanted to see if people were interested. So was this like crowdfunding on Kickstarter or was it just pre-orders, straight up pre-orders? It was pre-orders on our website. Um, I thought about Kickstarter, but I wanted the, like I wanted the traffic and the sales to come directly to our website. And we'd been in business for a year and a half, I think by then. So cause we already had a community of customers that trusted us, which is, um, we had been selling other, you know, yarn that other manufacturers had made. So we had a community of customers that trusted that they liked our aesthetic and wanted to see what we would make. Um, but I had no idea if this would work. Mm -hmm. Um, we released this campaign and we were able to raise over $20,000 in pre-orders, which was enough to fund the first manufacturing of that yarn line, um, and which, um, you know, I didn't have in my bank account, right. <laughs> candidly. So it was the only way that it worked. Um, and we've gone from there. I think, you know, it took seven months to make that yarn. Um, that was that first line of yarn. And ever since then, every new line of yarn that we've made, we've released on a pre-order model. Um, okay. So that's yeah. been, that's worked with you for you consistently yes. and your customers continue to come back or new customers yes. find you and continue to sort of take that bet. Yeah. My guess is, not my guess I know that most of the people who pre-order are already our customers. So you're not likely to find like a new on Facebook, a new person who's never heard about your company on an ad and they'll take that, that like, right. Sure. I'll buy yarn from you in eight months. Right. Um, but people who know and love us are willing to do that. I think because they want the yarn and also we hear a lot because they just you know, support our company. Absolutely. And, doing. and as a yeah. crafter, when you use something that you've bought from somebody who you feel like, you know, mm -hmm. it's a very special thing. Like mm -hmm. it feels, um, very different, you know, like when I buy fabric from a designer who I've met or whose story I've followed for a long time, and then I make something from that fabric, it really feels like you're, I don't know, you're crafting with a friend or something like that. So I think that that relationship piece it, it continues on into actually like not only just buying but also using the, the materials Absolutely.
I want to take a minute now to hear from our sponsor, Lyric Kennard of the Academy for Virtual Teaching. Hello, I'm Lyric Montgomery Kennard with the Academy for Virtual Teaching. And tell us a little bit about the Academy for Virtual Teaching. What's it all about? We are a private membership community where makers, creatives come together and we learn how to build businesses teaching online. So we teach people tech, we teach people marketing, all the things they need in order to add online education as part of their business model. And that's so important. There's so many exciting opportunities for people to reach audiences all over the world, but it can be kind of overwhelming as well. Absolutely. The thing is, it's global and online education can be live or it can be a passive income stream where you put up on-demand classes and they kind of make money in your sleep. Absolutely. And you have a sort of tiered membership. There's a free version, but there's also a paid version. So I'd love to hear more about that one. Correct. Our pro-business membership level offers ongoing education, um, business development workshops. We have a huge library of email marketing workshops, how to create a promotional video workshops, um, how to use Canva, photography workshops like how to take product photos, how to take a headshot, business administration workshops, Zoom workshops, like everything you need. We have it in a huge library. We also have all of our guest seminar archives. We have speakers come in live every month who have something to offer as far as business tips for our membership. That's great. Okay. So where can we go to learn a little bit more about this, explore it, and um, possibly sign up as well? Right. You can go to academyforvirtualteaching.com or a the number four vt.com and look at our different membership levels there. Wonderful. Thank you, Lyric. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much to the Academy for Virtual Teaching. And now back to my conversation with Sarah. Yeah, that's why I named my company Just Yarn. So like the gist of something is the substance or essence of it. And I really wanted to share the idea, you know, the, the idea that what we, what what we make with matters and that as you're making with something whose story, you know, and you know, like where it comes from and why it was made that way. um, It just makes what you're making more special for yourself as you're making it and to whoever you're giving it to. Right. It's those relationships that carry it all the way through. Right. And did you have to move studios eventually? Are you still in that space? Yes. So we moved a couple times. We started in like a a 400 square foot studio in Stoughton. And then we were in a thousand square foot studio in Norwood. And then uh, it was 2020 and COVID hit. And we had already been thinking about moving to a 3PL, which is an outsourced warehouse. We had visited that um, in January of 2020. Um, also Massachusetts or somewhere else? So we work with a company in Eastern Pennsylvania. Okay. And we made that shift in May of 2020, and they are incredible. So it's a really small thing, which is not something people often say about their 3PLs. Uh, people, <laughs> right. And a lot of companies go back and forth. Yeah. They'll use like a distribution fulfillment yeah. warehouse for a period of time because they yeah. feel like I'm overwhelmed by this yeah. and I can't keep doing this. And then... You know, I just talked to uh, the folks at So Tights for this podcast. They did that. Mm-hmm. And then they wanted to be able to put in special inserts mm-hmm. um, or kind of just be able to be more nimble. Mm-hmm. And every time you do that, they charge you more. Mm-hmm. And so they eventually 
stopped using that and mm-hmm. brought it back in house again. So it feels it, it can be a, a rough relationship. It, it certainly can. And it's a give and take. Ours uh, is a small family run business. We really feel like they're an extension of our team. Um, they, we talk to them, you know, daily or several times a day often, and they care a lot about our products and they care a lot about the products of everyone they work with. And so it has worked out well. They do, you know, inserts for us. They do kitting for our Zolly kits. And, um, yeah, it's a big shift for people who are thinking about making that change. I was really nervous to, to do it. And what I was nervous about didn't end up being the issues. <laughs> right. So what were you nervous about? That they wouldn't put the things in correctly, package it the right way? Yeah. I Yeah. That there would be things mispicked. The biggest thing is that you need to have everything barcoded at almost every warehouse. You need to have your products barcoded. I think that can be challenging for craft-based businesses, especially if you have tons and tons of SKUs or it's your SKU is a piece of cut fabric or something like that. But... Um, yeah, we had to go through a system of getting all of our products barcoded. And then now that everything is barcoded, we have very few errors like that. Right. Because the packer, you know, has to get the beep before it goes into the box. Right, exactly. So were you yeah. able then to move to a smaller space because now you don't have all that inventory and you don't need a, you know, you don't need a, a, a really a warehouse space of your own? Yeah, we don't have a warehouse space of our own now. So our team is fully remote. We have people in several different states. We're a team of six people around the United States. Um, yeah, I'm. there are some aspects of not having direct access to your studio space and the yarn and kind of just like seeing it around you that I think can be challenging. But on the whole, it's worked out really well because it's allowed for flexibility with our team to be able to work from home and for us to be able to grow. Yeah, so, yeah. absolutely. So what are some of the positions that some of these folks are holding I met you mentioned earlier there was a creative director mm-hmm. early on who mm-hmm. was really instrumental mm-hmm. in shaping the overall aesthetic of just mm-hmm. um so I'm assuming there's still a creative director uh, I'm not sure but um you tell me like what what are some of the other roles I think it's it's helpful for people to understand like what roles have you added over time sure. to build this business yeah. sure yeah I can share I'll share what everyone at our company does I love our team so much I'm so lucky to get to work with the people I do uh, so on the gist side, Christine is the Jablonski is the director of content and customer experience, and she works with all of our designers to uh, all of our weaving pattern designers um, to commission them and to work to create. Uh, we release a couple patterns every month, um, as well as subscription boxes. So she works with them to develop their content with our yarn and publish it. She also leads all of our customer service and our wholesale. She's been with our company for years. Um, And we have Valet, who's the director of procurement, and they work with all of our manufacturing partners to make sure that our yarn is high quality, exactly the colors we want, you know, moving everything along the many stages of production, managing freight, things like that. Uh, Susie is our director of e-commerce and she manages uh, email marketing and website and overall marketing strategy across both of our brands, Just Yarn and Zali. LaShawn is multimedia producer and the director of our artist in residency program and she uh, hosted our podcast early on and has moved into uh, doing our audio visual, producing video and audio content for us and also running that residency program. 
and Grace is our creative director for Zali, which is our new sister brand, and she is leading the creative direction and development for that and all the product development. Nice. That's great. And yeah. I mean, you've gotten clearly very comfortable in being able to delegate because those are some really big things that you're yeah. able to sort of allow somebody else to really spearhead and do on their own. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not allowing. I mean, they're all better at their jobs than I would right. be at what they're doing. Right. And so it um, it's my favorite part of the work that I do to get to work with them and to see what everyone is building together. Everyone on our team is really creative. They're makers themselves. And so they bring, you know, their own unique flavor to all of this work. Right. So let's talk about a few things. First is Zolly. So I have a kit here right in front of me, the beginner cross stitch kit, um, which is beautiful and was a great experience to open and is just lovely in its design. I have not started yet, but I'm going to. Um, And so tell us a little bit about, I mean, it sounds like you had discovered that there were yarns that you could use for other crafts and that was maybe the impetus but these are kits meant for beginners um but in in a bunch of different crafts not just cross stitch and cross stitch by the way is quite different from weaving and weaving yarn so um was this like a a leap of faith to 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 launch kits like this yeah so there's kind of the personal story and the business story and i'll share both of those the personal story is that i was postpartum last summer with my second child and really struggling which is probably something that people who have been postpartum will resonate with um and i was losing my sense of myself in just taking care of both of my children and a challenging physical recovery i couldn't weave even though that's often what would ground me like there was just no time or space to be able to get to my loom but i was sitting on the couch a lot taking care of my kids and recovering and I picked up Array, some of our Array, which is our wool tapestry yarn, and I started teaching myself. I did a needlepoint kit and was learning about needlepoint and cross-stitch, which is something that you can do while you're sitting on the couch watching the kids. And it was, you know, I've been a maker my whole life, and I had to be reminded again that, like, in a challenging period, I needed to learn something new with my hands and have that space to just be proud of myself for who I was and what I was making. And that was a transformative experience for me, and I wanted to be part of bringing that transformative experience to a lot more people and to people who are brand new at making, maybe don't even know that they want to be a maker, don't even know that that could be something that would be meaningful in their lives, but who are going through something hard, whether it's a postpartum or a different kind of transition in their life. And And the wonderful thing about a kit which it sounds like you started with a a needlepoint kit, Mm -hmm. is that everything's included there. And so if you're a total beginner and you're like, I don't know what you know, needle I need, what fabric I need for this. I don't know anything about this. What kind of design would work well? Nothing, right? If you buy the kit, everything's included. You can try it. The instructions are there. Everything's there. And then, you know, if you like it, that launches you into that whole new avenue. And if you don't like it, it was just that one kit. And so it's done and that's that, you know. So I I think there's such a huge place in the craft industry for a really good kit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That you don't need to feel like you need to know. You know, people can be so intimidated. I hear this so many times. Walking into a knitting knitting store, walking into an you know a embroidery store that they don't know what they don't know, and they think that they will. You don't speak the language. Yeah, and so yeah, we design these kits. They have retail packaging. We design them to be able to go into toy stores, bookstores, museum stores. You don't need to know what cross stitch is to look at this box and think, oh, I, I could try that. My kid could try that. Um, so that is why 
we created this. They have video instructions, uh, illustrated booklets. So all the all, everything you need and our yarn, which is made in the U.S. This array yarn is 114 colors. It's a wool yarn grown and spun and dyed here. We made it originally for tapestry weavers, and it's also really fun to stitch with. So I'm excited with Zali to, to make new relationships in, in stitching communities and have more people trying out this yarn. Yeah, and then there's, there's um, a replenishment aspect of this too, right? So you can say, well, I did this, I still have the pattern, and I want more of the same. And so they can come to you to buy the exactly. exact same exactly. yarn again. Yeah. Or different colors. The same right, color. or yeah. do it again in yeah. different colors. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, so that's, that's yeah. great. Yeah, so that was the personal side. And then the business side of this story is that we have all this yarn. Weaving is wonderful. It is my heart. And it's really hard uh, for a... Be- it, it's, it's not as accessible for a beginner to get started because it's expensive equipment that yeah. can take up a lot of space. Yeah. So we certainly help a lot of beginners get started at Just Yarn, but people who are looking for a new hobby, you know, sub $100, that's not weaving. And so we wanted to make these kits, you know, $80 and under for people right. to be able to really just try it out and try something new. Right. And are there plans then to say, okay, well, now we have these cross-stitchers who are, you know, coming in to just through the kit, through the Zali kit, now do we need to make cross-stitch patterns that are more you know, intermediate level, more advanced level? Is that part of the longer term? Absolutely. So Grace is working right now on um, commissioning designers who are going to make intermediate level patterns for all of our tracks. Right. Okay. So yeah. yeah. So it's kind of a way to diversify almost and expand outside of just weaving yarns. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's designers listening to this who are intrigued and interested in collaborating with us, you can definitely reach out to Grace at grace at just yarn.com. Uh, we're, we're always looking to build new relationships with artists. Good to know. Yeah. Um, and then what about the subscriptions? You had referenced that briefly, but mm-hmm. you have some subscriptions. So, and you know, subscriptions are a really great model for building recurring revenue and being able to sort of anticipate what's going to come in mm-hmm. at the same time. They can be very difficult to manage um, because people cancel and you have to, you know, cut off orders mm-hmm. at a certain moment so that you can sort of make mm-hmm. sure you have everything that you need. And um, anyway, there's, it can be wonderful and also a huge headache. So tell us a little bit about the subscriptions that you offer and, and how sure. that's been going. Yeah, so we have three kinds of prescri- subscriptions. Weave Quarterly is our su- two subscription boxes, one for multi-shaft weavers and one for rigid heddle weavers. And it's meant to give people a look into the studio of different weavers. So we'll work with a designer over a period of three boxes. They'll design three separate projects. Uh, you get in those boxes all the yarn you need for those projects, the, the pattern, uh, other information and from the designer. Sometimes they'll share playlists or recipes or, you know, just a way to have a more personal relationship with who, with yeah. who that person is. Um, and you'll end with a you'll end that three period with a with that person's collection, and then we have new designers. I love that way of doing that because yeah, yeah, you really get introduced, as you said, to the studio of a of a new person. That's mm-hmm. really that's neat. I haven't heard of a subscription box that kind of does it quite that way. Yeah, it, we're really a lot of how we focus is on how to highlight the the designers and the artists that mm-hmm. we work with, and so that is Weave Quarterly, and we also have the Discovery Boxes, which is a tapestry box sub, um, subscription with Rebecca Mezoff. Uh, she's awesome. She's one of our members as well. I love Rebecca. Anytime you say Rebecca's name, everyone smiles. (laughs) 
you know you're doing it right if that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she uh, picks a palette of seven of our array colors every quarter and designs educational content around it. So she has a, a different theme every quarter where she teaches people different um, skills and ways of think- of advancing their own work creatively and artistically. And she shares those through videos and through community content on her learning platform. And we provide the yarn, I and see. that is um, another incredible collaboration yeah. and subscription box. So both of those are quarterly boxes. We do, you know, once a quarter, mm-hmm. four times a year. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it sounds to me, just thinking about this for a minute, like you are not hesitant to, as you say, when you're collaborating, you're collaborating with all these designers, but you're not hesitant to pay people for their design work. In other words, like I feel like there's... There can be some tensions, certainly in the quilting world as well, where, and also in the in the scrapbooking world too, where you know companies that are manufacturers of certain product they pro- they partner with designers, but they don't actually pay them. They just give them product and expect them to design things with their product that they then use to sell their product. Um, but you're not doing it that way. You and so you must be. I mean, when you look at the bottom line, you're you're paying a significant amount of of the money that's coming in back out to designers who are using the products that you're making. Yes, we work uh, both on a flat fee and a royalty basis. So with our weaving pattern designers, uh, they get a flat fee rate for those patterns. For uh, with like Rebecca Mezoff, who has her own learning component, there's a royalty uh, for each of those boxes. And with our Zali kits, the artists are getting royalties for these in addition to a flat fee that they were paid for creating it. There's no world in which I would make a company in which artists and designers aren't paid for their right. work. I'm just not about that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah. But um, but you would be surprised yeah. the degree to which. I mean, I'm not really sure yeah. in the knitting world how much that happens. It probably does yeah. to a degree, but it certainly does in other sectors of the craft world. I will say, in the very early days of just yarn, before we had much traction or money, we were giving away yarn to designers in exchange for them writing patterns and blog posts. So I think, and they were happy to do that, and that was. I, you know, I think like yeah. as you're as you're like a really young business, that that is something that can work, um, but definitely not when you're in a more established field. Right. I think that's just not a fair way to. Right, right, and so. you come from a, yeah. a fair labor background, that's so <laughs> so that's so, that's certainly going to yeah. be built in there. Yeah. And I'd love to talk to you, and I, I've long admired your. Um, I think it's called the Artist in Residence Program, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and have helped to sort of try to include those links in our Thank newsletter you. when the opportunity yeah. arises. So um, talk a little bit about that program, how it works, and um, what made you start it, and and the logistics of it. Yeah, so this is Lashawn's brainchild. She had been hosting our podcast for years and had been developing lots of relationships with artists through that and wanted to build a way for our company to more deeply support materially and financially a smaller cohort of artists. Uh, a podcast gives you know people audience, but it's, it's not financial support. So she designed and developed this whole program. It's a quarterly artist, remote artist in residency program. It's remote, which yes. I remember I've seen that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's about people who are engaging their communities in weaving based art. So we get this year, I think we got over 300 applications, which That's is incredible. incredible. Um, she was able to pick four artists who are working on different community based projects in different regions around the United States They get a $1,500 cash stipend and a $1,500 material budget in the form of a gift shop to our store. 
that they use and yeah it's a really special way for us to connect with weaving communities and artists and i appreciate all of our customers who support our business and yeah make that possible yeah so, absolutely yeah. i just wonder if that's sort of given your company or brought you sort of unexpected new things that maybe you know because one can think well how can i afford to give away all of this money and the cash and give away the product but my guess is that it actually comes back to you tenfold. So I don't know if there's ex- stories or people that you've been able to, to get to know through this that have really enriched, you know, your experience of being a business owner. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, it's not trackable in the way that like a Facebook sure. ad can be trackable. Right. Um, but for sure, I think the more people who are interacting with your company in different kinds of ways. So not just interacting with you as I'm trying to sell you the specific yarn, (laughs) but, Oh, I heard about you through this community event and this community is, is good. I think, um, yeah, I mean, we have developed great relationships with those artists and residents who continue to go do good work in their community. And it's and something help. that I'm proud of and our employees are proud of. And that, right. that also matters at work. To it be does. Proud of what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And it helps to build the interest in weaving overall, mm-hmm. which is building the Absolutely. market Absolutely. overall too. Yeah. Um, maybe in communities where it wasn't so robust. So yeah. 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 That's amazing. Okay. So I, yeah, I wanted to talk about that. I also wanted to talk about, um, you have kind of another piece of your business that's outside of GIST that mm-hmm. is um, weaving Talit, which mm-hmm. are Jewish prayer shawls. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just looking at your website for that business mm-hmm. because my daughter, my youngest daughter, is about to become bat mitzvah mm-hmm. so, in January. Mm-hmm. And so we have to go buy her a talit. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking about going to Colbo and Brookline. And um, and then I was like, oh, wait, we could look here. These are just as beautiful, if not more so. So, um, so maybe talk a little bit about how you learn to do that because I, there's special knots involved um it's not so easy to just like jump in yeah uh so I made my first talit for my little brother at his bar for his bar mitzvah which was mm, he's 25 so however many years ago that was (laughs) um about a bar mitzvah for people who don't know is a coming of age ceremony for Jews in when they're 12 or 13 and that was a great experience. It was fun to get to work with him to design something that he would like. And from there, I wove a tallit for a cousin and then started getting commissions in the city. I love it. Before that, I had been, you know, weaving shawls and placemats and making a ritual object. is just, it's deeply meaningful for me. Um, and it takes it's so many hours um, to make a talit. So I wasn't able to, I, I, I was both interested in building out a way to make more talitot uh, and meaningful prayer shawls. And I knew that like it couldn't be a, a way to earn a living for me because I was selling my talits for $500 at that point, which is really expensive and not accessible to most people. And I was probably making like $6 an hour or whatever. <laughs> um, so from there, I decided I wanted to find a way to partner with small manufacturers and small sew shops to make... Again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It kind of all comes together yeah. to make my designs in a way uh, that uh, the talits could be a little bit more price accessible. And uh, yeah. It was a more scalable. It's a very small micro mm-hmm. business uh, that you know I sell maybe one or two talits a day or less, 
but it's something I'm really proud of. I like to sit on Shabbat mornings, on Saturday mornings, and think about all the people that are wearing tallits that I've made, and that feels special. And uh, I work closely with Cobalt in Brookline, which is a store. So if you go there with your kid, you'll see. Okay, they'll be yeah. there. Okay, good. Yeah, so she yeah. can try them on. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That, that was what I was wondering is how yeah. she can try them on. Okay, that's perfect. Okay, well, we'll probably get one. So yeah. that's great. Good to know. And then I also want to talk about you have a new product coming out that's like a color palette card. So maybe you can mm-hmm. talk a little bit about how that works. Yes. So we uh, are releasing in January a deck of cards. It's 180 cards with different colors and shades on them. And the idea is that it's for you know, people who love yarn, people who love fabric, florists, designers, wedding design, you know, a a whole range of people who love color, but don't feel totally confident in how to combine it together. So it teaches you color theory in a fun way, and you can lay out the cards and it suggests which cards you should pair them with. Um, We're really excited about it. Yeah, that's coming in January. And that's going to be launched on our Zali website, zallymakes.com and is also going to be available wholesale. And how, I mean, I'm thinking like there are lots of directions. So the color cards, you know, that's a direction you can go in. Creating introductory kits, that's a direction you can go in. There are lots of directions you could go mm-hmm. in in order to diversify this business and continue mm-hmm. to expand and just keep it exciting. And, um, and I'm wondering if you have like, I don't know, fundamental ideas or like a vision statement or something like that that helps to guide you because I'm also sure people come to you with ideas and are like, hey, we could do this. We could partner in that, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, you can't say yes to everything, you, whether they're your own ideas mm-hmm. or somebody else's ideas. That, you know, so you have to be able to sort of have some way of some criteria of being able to say, yeah, this is a yes and mm-hmm. this is a no. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> So for just yarn, we are very focused on weaving. So weaving patterns, weaving yarn, serving that community of weavers. For Zali, our mission statement is to spark curiosity and confidence in new makers. So we are doing that through our beginner kits and teaching people how to make. And the color palette cards are really part of that. So inspiring people's confidence in color, which I would say is One of the number one things we hear in customer service is, which colors do I pick? I don't know how to pick colors. I I, I don't feel like I'm good at picking colors. And we really want to demystify that color process and help people make those decisions for themselves. Okay, great. And how did you come up with the name Zolly? This was fun. We were going with our team, thinking about lots of different ideas. We wanted something to feel fun and fresh and relevant to kids, but not only for kids. And uh, there were two names that we were thinking a lot about. One of them was Ollie, which turns out to be there are just many, many brands named Ollie. (laughs) So that wasn't a good fit. And another name was Zaza, which is what my kids call uh, their aunt. And it just felt like a special, sweet name. Uh, So we put that together into Zolly. Yeah. And it also sounds like Golly. Mm, that's sweet. I hadn't thought of that. You know, yeah. which Golly, is, yeah, right. <laughs> which is kind of like yeah. positive, yeah. you know, of you too yeah. and youthful. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's mm-hmm. great. All right. So I want to make sure we get to your recommendations because you've mm-hmm. got some good ones. Um, and so one of them is a color picker browser extension. I'm assuming this is for Chrome. Yes. Okay. I can't even say, I don't actually remember what I use, but I will just say that if you in your business are always trying to remember what your brand colors are, or yes. which colors to go where, a color, a browser extension where you just click and it reminds you what your hex code is. It's oh, just nice. So you input it and then it just remembers it. 
Uh, no. So basically you can go to your own website. Oh, and, and it finds it. And you just click on that spot. And, and it's it like, tells you what it is. is. Ah. Or if you go to another website and you're like, I love that color. What is right. that color? It tells you the it hex codes. Exactly. And the hex code is the exact sort of exactly. digital code for that right. color. Right. So you can use it. Okay. So that's, that's yeah. interesting. I like yeah. that. A little like mm-hmm. shortcut. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. I have... Um, our colors as like a file, but then whenever I need them, I have to go find them and that's kind of a pain. Yeah. Try the hex. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Nice. Good to know. All right. Washi tape, origami paper, and scissors. And this is something that you've been doing with your four-year-old. Yeah. This is just our current favorite iteration of craft supplies to sit with together. And uh, it's just such a fun experience to watch her cutting and taping and playing and a reminder of how open creativity is when you're a kid, even though things can start to feel more closed as an adult. And one of the things that I felt like when I, because I used to always sit and paint when my kids would paint or whatever we'd be making, Mm -hmm. I would make one too. And one of the things I learned early on is to make mine completely abstracted and like in no way trying to be good at art. Do you know what I'm saying? So like, I I would be like, mommy's doing stripes. You know what I mean? So that there's like a a total permission that like oh hers doesn't look great it just looks random and so I don't feel bad about mine you know what I mean there was like no yeah competition I guess with somebody who's obviously an adult and can do something way different from what you're doing as a child that's a great advice yeah 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 yeah. I would just be like oh I'm painting mine all pink (laughs) just leave it there you know so which is still fun for me and yeah um so um and then the last one is floss cross no idea what this is Oh, this is a great website where you can take your own designs and turn them into cross-stitch patterns. Oh my gosh, my daughter would love that. Yeah, it's free. I don't know the names of the creators of it, um, but maybe it's on the website, but it's just flosscross.com and you can put your images in and then kind of edit them to become the cross-stitch pattern. And does it have to be a line drawing or... You can upload any photo. I think if wow. it doesn't have a lot of crispness, you'll probably need to do more editing. But yeah. Yeah. It's great. Oh, that is good mm-hmm. to know. Yeah. yeah. Especially for people who want something that's going to be like very personal or weirdly snarky or yeah. <laughs> yeah. there's no pattern. Yeah. What does your daughter like to cross stitch? So, well, she likes it. She has the Joe Verso world of cross stitch books. Okay. There's are like really old books, but yeah. they have... Like every kind of person, every kind of font, every kind of motif in there. And then she picks and chooses and combines them together and makes all kinds of things. So like she made my son, he was fencing. She made him a little fencer bookmark and, you know, yeah, she's cross-stitched signs for my husband to take to work and... Um, actually one for our gym. She made one for the gym. <laughs> like I, I'll even remind people to take their shoes off when they come in, like all sorts of stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's cool. I mean, I don't cross it. Well, I'm going to learn, but I don't cross stitch as of yet. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Try out our Zolly kit. Yeah. yeah. Grace put together great videos here to teach step-by-step how to do it. So. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Videos mm-hmm. are super important. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been great to have you over, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming to visit me today here in the studio. I always love talking to people in person and, um, yeah just really inspiring to learn about your business thanks so much for welcoming me it was wonderful and you've been listening to the craft industry alliance podcast i'm abby glassenberg today's episode was brought to you by the academy for virtual teaching a community of creative entrepreneurs building proficient profitable and professional online teaching businesses in the academy for virtual teachings pro membership They can help you develop the skills needed to organize, film, edit, and add online education to your business model. The Academy invites you to join their community of supportive colleagues. 
as they share their creativity with students around the world. Thank you so much to the Academy for Virtual Teaching. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.